trying to solve issues as they came up. And when I was diagnosed and when my life started to slow down, uh, I admit that I struggled with feeling valuable and feeling useful. And, and I also worried about being a burden to my family. Tasks that I completed easily were difficult or impossible, and I often felt left out. And sometimes I still struggle with feeling left out. I need to think about what it's going to cost me to do any particular thing. I need to think through and analyze how my day is going to go because of my energy level. Um, there was an article out once about a, a person was trying to describe her situation to another person and she said when most healthy people when they wake up they have a whole basket full of let's say spoons and they can just use a spoon to get dressed or use a spoon to, to uh, do their exercise or whatever and their spoons were kind of limitless. Whereas somebody who's ill, there's only a smaller number of spoons in that basket. And they have to be very careful about how they spend each one of them because when they run out, they're, they're done. I'm Sharon Betters, Executive Director of Mark Inc. Ministries, and welcome to this interview. I know that you're going to be encouraged by what you hear. The vision of Mark Inc. Ministries is to create resources that offer help and hope to the hurting, especially those who sometimes feel alone in their struggles. One of our signature resources is our audio library that includes numerous interviews with people who transparently share their redemption stories of finding purpose and healing in a hard place in life. You can visit our website where you can download or listen for free these stories that address such life crises as the loss of a loved one, sexual abuse, adultery, divorce, autistic spectrum disorders, raising a special needs child, many, many more. The interview you're listening to now is part of our Warrior Woman series. Each one of these interviews is with a woman who has faced a life crisis with grit and determination to live not as a victim, but as a victor. You can learn more about this series at our website at markinc.org. In the studio today with me is my friend Sherry Bittler, and I like to say sometimes that Sherry has a constant companion that I'm pretty confident she would never have chosen, and she's going to introduce us to that companion today and how she's learned to get along with this unlikely friend. Sherry, welcome to the studio. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I am a wife of 45 years and a grandmother with 12 grandchildren who I'm thoroughly enjoying. I was in children's ministry for over 30 years and five years ago, due to my diagnosis, had to step back for a while and retire. So I'm at home learning to live life in a new normal. And that new normal includes living with multiple sclerosis. I was surprised as I was researching for our time together today to learn that there are about 400,000 people in the United States who have this diagnosis, and every week there are 200 new cases of multiple sclerosis in the United States alone. And, uh, you know, you can think of, well, that's, uh, that's not that many people in the scheme of how many people live in the United States, but then you multiply that by their families and their friends, and there's an ever-widening circle of people who are impacted when someone is diagnosed with MS, as we, uh, I think most people know it. 
Why don't you tell us a little bit about what multiple sclerosis is? Multiple sclerosis is actually damage to the sheath on your nerve cells. It affects your central nervous system. When I first was diagnosed, I immediately thought wheelchair and not walking and whatever, but there's so much more involved. There's a lot of invisible things as well. There are bladder issues, there's numbness, there's pain. Um, my cognitive reasoning is has slowed down considerably. Processing something takes a lot more time. Sometimes even vocabulary, as I'm trying to speak with somebody, uh, catch and I won't be able to quite get the word I want. Um, eyesight can be affected, definitely movement. Um, I can no longer kneel on my knees. I can't run for anything, and I can't stand for long. Some days my handwriting is challenged. If I am traveling up and down steps and want to carry something, I have to put my back against the wall and kind of slide down the steps, carrying something so that the wall is actually holding me up, being my balance for me. I am still learning to overcome the embarrassment of being so awkward in some of the tasks that I try to complete and some of the things that I do. And people rush to help me and they mean well. I don't know whether it's my pride that still needs some work or whether I'm really just trying to maintain my independence as long as I can. I try to be polite. And I have promised my family and my close friends that I will definitely ask for help when I need it. But please let me try to do as much as I can. Sherry, I've known you for a long time. And what you're describing is the impact of the disease dramatically changed your life and the way that you lived your life before you started experiencing the symptoms. And I want to talk about that later in our conversation about how you've been able to process all of those changes and what has helped you get to a point of realizing that you still have plenty of purpose in life and there's plenty of joy and meaning in your life, uh, even though you've had these changes. But explain to me exactly what happens when multiple sclerosis hits the central nervous system. What happens to the nerves? Your immune system starts attacking that coating that is on your nerve, that sheath that's on myelin, it's called, that's on that nerve. And so when the signals come from your brain and they get to that point where the coating is attacked, it will short or, or stop in some cases. I have some damage to like my hip sensors so that my leg won't always raise just because my brain tells it to. Sometimes I have to manually raise my leg. Getting into a car I can't get in always the normal way. Sometimes I have to like slide my bottom in first and then physically pull up my legs or, or whatever. So it, it has to do with the signals from your brain. So what, what I'm hearing you say is you could think in your head, okay, leg move, leg move, leg move, and it's not going to move. No matter how hard you try, you cannot get the message from your brain to that appendage to, to move your legs or to go up a step or something like that at times. Do, is this all the time or is this once in a while? No, it, it's sporadic. I can't necessarily tell when it's, when it's going to happen. I think that there are some ways that I can make it better in that, I mean, I can't cure it. Any damage that's MS, once it damages something, it's permanent. There's no cure for that. No correction for it. But exercising, eating properly, 
some of the foods we eat cause inflammation in our body and inflammation makes you know, puts pressure and makes it worse. So eating properly, exercising, keeping your brain aware of what it's supposed to do and forcing yourself to to do it. So it it has a very unpredictableness to it. I think it's important for us to understand that there are times in life where no matter how much positive thinking you have, you can't force your body to do things where there's a disconnect there. One of the things that I've also noticed is uh, energy. Uh, As we've spent time together, you've talked about how you have to make choices. Help our listeners to better understand what that's like. That's probably the hardest part because I lived life at a very fast pace. I was very active, but I was also fast. I could accomplish a lot in a short period of time. And That made me feel good that I could accomplish as much as I did. I was a key person in my ministry. Um, Sometimes the employees wanted to put a bell around my neck because I would go so fast from one issue to the next trying to solve issues as they came up. And when I was diagnosed and when my life started to slow down, uh, I admit that I struggled with feeling valuable and feeling useful. And, and I also worried about being a burden to my family. Tasks that I completed easily were difficult or impossible, and I often felt left out. And sometimes I still struggle with feeling left out. I need to think about what it's going to cost me to do any particular thing. I need to think through and analyze how my day is going to go because of my energy level. Um, There was an article out once about a a person was trying to describe her situation to another person. And she said, when most healthy people, when they wake up, they have a whole basket full of, let's say, spoons. And they can just use a spoon to get dressed or use a spoon to to, uh, do their exercise or whatever. And their spoons were kind of limitless. Whereas somebody who's ill, there's only a smaller number of spoons in that basket. And they have to be very careful about how they spend each one of them, because when they run out, they're they're done. And so you have to analyze your day. I try to plan my days between 9.30 and 2, and because I know that those are probably all the hours that I'm going to have to get much accomplished. And I mean, and that includes thinking about dinner and and making meals and so on and so forth. Um, Sometimes I I miss never having to count my spoons. Sherry, I remember before you were diagnosed that you started recognizing that your body was changing, in particular, your ability to walk fast. Mm -hmm. It seemed like your leg would not listen to you. How long was it before you had a diagnosis? Well, it took almost five years before they finally put a name to it. I started slowing down, and because I was heading into my 60s, it was easy to kind of think that perhaps age was affecting me, although I looked around at my friends, and they they were all still managing to move quicker than I was. I wish I had been more aggressive. Um, I can't blame the medical community totally for taking that long. I did drop a pan of boiling water in my kitchen and it splashed on my chest. And so I had to go to the doctor for burn medication or whatever. And while she didn't tell me, she did send me for an MRI. She suspected MS. But as I found out later, it turned out that this particular machine that I went to was old and didn't portray things clearly. And so when she saw the results, she just 
you know, said, oh, there's nothing there and, and moved on, whereas there really was something starting there. So it took five years. I kind of went through orthopedic route trying to think, well, my legs, you know, maybe there's something muscular wrong or whatever. But finally, somebody, a friend of a friend of a friend, sent me to a neurologist, and um, he was able to put me through all kinds of tests, and finally a spinal test, a spinal was able to determine that, yes, it was. There was spinal damage, and there was also bands on the brain. What would you recommend to someone who is struggling with finding a diagnosis? What kind of a doctor would you tell them to look for? And I don't mean in particular their field, but what kind of a personality would you suggest a friend look for? A doctor who's totally concerned with finding out what the issue is. You know, that they don't, they listen well, they read between the lines, they see you as a challenge. (laughs) You know, they want to determine how they can best help you. I started, of course, which most people have to for insurance purposes with your primary care physician or whatever, and a good one will listen to you and then send you to the different specialists and just keep going. Don't sit back and assume, okay, this must just be the way it is. Keep fighting until somebody can explain to you what's wrong. I mean, then you have to accept it, but it's so much easier to accept when you have a diagnosis than when you're just struggling to figure out why you're feeling the way you're feeling. And how important was medication for your treatment? What was your experience with medication? Once my neurologist diagnosed the MS, he was right on top of putting me on a medication. I'm on a very expensive medication. Um, It is to slow the progression. It's new. And while um, insurance pays for some of it, we can't even begin to afford the uh, copay. And so he immediately put me in touch with Um, people who are willing to give out medical grants. And so I have to apply for a medical grant and so far have been able to be accepted, but I have to renew every year. And so we just pray that every year it'll be completely renewed because once it is no longer renewed, I'm, I'm going to have to stop taking it. It's not anything that we could possibly afford. So you would you would say be proactive, find a doctor you're really comfortable with that that is aggressive, and also don't always take no for an answer. Realize that there are other options. And you mentioned prayer, and so I we're going to talk about that in a few minutes as well. But um, praying that the Lord shows you new options, new directions, and a doctor who is willing to fight for you. Well, and that He also gives you the ability to clearly express what's going on, to be able to communicate in a way that the doctor knows all the details and everything about what you're experiencing and feeling so that he can put those all together and send you in a right direction. Sounds like you have a great doctor. I do have a wonderful neurologist. It's good to hear. That's good to hear. Have you had to make any changes around your home in order to be able to stay safe? Well, Early on, I fell a couple of times, and they were pretty uncomfortable, pretty unpleasant, pretty scary, actually. And so my husband realized that we needed to take the tub out of our master bathroom. So we put in a walk-in shower so that I can just walk flat in. I don't have to lift my leg um, in any way. 
I use my upper body because my lower body is the weaker part. Um, I use my upper body a lot for strength. So he put, even though we live in a ranch, we have a, a basement and we have a couple steps from the garage into the house. So anywhere, any place there was a step, he put railings on both sides so that I could actually kind of pull myself up rather than try to rely as much on my legs. I can't stand for long periods of time. And so we came up with stools, having a couple stools handy in the kitchen at the counter height so that if I'm preparing food and I get tired, I can sit down and continue to do that. Um, We have a we're blessed to have an above ground pool and I couldn't manage those little ladder steps anymore. So we had to get big regular steps or whatever so that I could get into those. And I, I'm so grateful for my husband's desire to solve any issue that comes along. So as, as I stumble with something or something becomes difficult, we just try to figure out a way to make it better. The internet is very nice to get a lot of information. If you plug into a problem, they'll come up with some practical solutions, and then we try to implement them. What was the darkest moment for you? I think when I had those falls early on and realized that I did have to make changes in my everyday surroundings was hard. There was a time when I'm I'm the executor for my mother. I'm the oldest child. And one time in talking to her, she said something about, I'm not sure that I can continue on, on that path because you might not be well enough to take care of me. So I might have to change who I'm thinking about living with when I get too old to live on my own. Those kinds of things make it hard for me. I think early on when I was first diagnosed, it was kind of dark when my husband was very supportive and very brave. And I, I know that he loves me. And I know that love is a choice. But I also know that down deep, there were things that he was looking forward to do as we retired that are probably not going to be things I'm able to do with him. So allowing myself to go into those places sometimes feels dark. So I, I try to avoid them. So is would you agree that there's a grief that you have to go through when you face this kind of a diagnosis? I definitely think there's a grief that you go through and continue to go through. So like anybody who has to handle grief, sometimes you have to just allow the, the wave, ride the wave, and other times you have to get up and walk out of the water, you know, and try to play in the sand instead. That's, that's a great picture. Um, what about depression? Have you struggled with depression? I have struggled with depression, but not to the point yet, anyway, of medication. Calling on my prayer partner has been real helpful to me. Sometimes it it feels like I'm headed into a, a dark hole and just try really hard to run the other way as quickly as I can by telling somebody. I believe it's important to be open and honest about your feelings. And when when something like that comes along that makes you feel uncertain or scared, um, grab onto somebody. You know, for that, I'm very thankful for my husband and my family. You have a growing family. You have 12 grandchildren. You spend time with the grandchildren and your adult children. How have they helped you in dealing with some of the limitations that you have? They're very encouraging about exercising. 
we did spend some time trying to explain things to the children as much as they could understand. Grammy has this issue that she has to deal with. Her legs don't always work as well as the others, you know, as well as everybody else's sometimes. And I have a couple of grandchildren that are always aware of that. You know, they're always watching me and they're always, if I, if they see me doing something, they're always coming alongside me. I have one granddaughter who, if I get up to go to the ladies room when we're out somewhere, she always goes with me (laughs) to make sure I'm okay. It's really precious. But they also encourage me to exercise. They've encouraged me to early on to try to do 5Ks. There was an MS 5K and they all banded together and came in and helped walk with me and I I got through it. Never been able to feel like I could do another one, but I am walking 30 minutes a day on my own and managing to to do that well. And I have an exercise, recumbent exercise bike that I can do. So those are the things I try to keep doing as far as exercise. How important is the attitude of family and your good friends toward you? Priceless. I naturally find times when I begin to feel a little bit sorry for myself, or I begin to feel like I'm too tired, or uh, I just can't do that anymore. And it's such a blessing to me to know that if I call them or text them or connect with them in any way, that they're going to encourage me. They're going to lovingly listen, and but they're going to encourage me to, to keep moving forward and to be, be positive. And they're going to remind me of all the things that I am able to do and give me permission to, to rest without feeling badly or guilty. Sherry, as I've said, we've been friends for a long time, and you have, for as long as I've known you, your ministry, your your life calling has been to pour into the lives of young families, and especially the moms of young kids. And I think that when you were diagnosed and you retired from leading a very active school, um, a school that you started, um, you had a very active mentoring life with many, many young mothers. Uh, you could have come to a point of saying, well, that's over. I'm done. I, I'm not going to be useful to anybody now. Did you have those kinds of feelings? And then what did that passion lead you to now in this season of life? I definitely did have those kinds of feelings. I just felt like my energy level wasn't going to let me. Um, my pain level wasn't going to let me. Um, learning how to deal with the pain that my body now lives with all the time took energy. I'm very grateful that I've been able to, to get over some of that. But I was able to finally, after some time and prayer and encouragement from family and friends, realize that I could still do some of these things. And actually, as I think about it, Wanting to be with young moms who have young children, young children are still moving slowly. (laughs) And so moms are moving slowly. And so I fit into that picture a little bit still and just decided that I was just going to make myself, motivate myself to be part of time with these women. I, I started or was willing to continue on teaching a little Bible study for young moms And it takes a lot of energy to do that. And so the next day I have to rest all day, but it's so rewarding and it makes me um, feel like I'm God is still using me in ways that that matter to these young moms. And we have 
a pool and I decided that I was going to just continue to open my pool during the summer on Wednesdays to young moms and their children. And I can sit with them and talk with them and still enjoy being together. And they love having a place to go to be together and be encouraged. And we pray together and I, you know, they share prayer requests and whatever. So those things have allowed me to still feel like I'm active working with young moms. And I, I think that your uh, Bible study started out with, I don't know, like seven or eight young moms. And now how many are This last coming? session, we, we go six week sessions at a time. And this last session, we had 20 moms signed up. Yeah. It was really exciting to me. There is a hunger for older women to be pouring into younger women. And I think no matter what your age, you still have the opportunity to do that if you can, as you said, you just decided, I'm, I'm not going to let it stop me. I'll find a way. I'll find a way. And really, it's an obedience to what God has called you to, to find a way to continue to pour into the lives of young women. And I know I've heard from many of them how grateful they are that you haven't quit. You're still hanging in there, and that's great. And hanging in there, that isn't even the right word to use uh, about your life. You still, you are very active in so many ways, not just with young moms, but with friends. And tell, tell me about your faith. How important has your faith been? Well, of course, my relationship with Jesus Christ is the source of any of my successes. But I have to be very intentional with attitude. I mean, we are in control of our attitudes, and we have choices. We look at our circumstances, and we can either see ourselves as victims and feel sorry for ourselves and sit back and say, okay, I'm done, or we can decide we're going to be victors, and we can be warriors that try to you know, work at figuring out a way to overcome and to make it work. And I just decided that's the way I wanted to go. There have certainly been verses that have been helpful to me, and I've posted them on my mirror. I need reminders because I can slip out of positive sometimes. Isaiah 46, 4, even to your old age and your gray hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. Since I have gray hair now. And it's beautiful. <laughs> this verse helps. Um, everyone is unique with with their situation and their their struggle or their illness, and no one knows uh, what's going to happen. But the Bible tells us to give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in, in Christ Jesus. And that's not easy to accept that this is God's will right now, because this isn't a choice that I might have. But, you know, I believe that the Bible is the truth, and that the Bible is going to be listening to God, and God's Word is going to be what gives me the strength to carry through my circumstance. Cher, you mentioned that you're intentional about reading the Bible. Talk to the person who's listening right now who maybe has a Bible in their house but has never seen it as a means to inform their life or to have an impact on their attitudes. Set your goals realistically for your own lives. You can read it chapter a day. You can read a couple verses a day. You can go online and find um, a devotion that might be emailed to you every day. Go to a Christian bookstore, pick up something simple that you can read to get you started. I feel that finding a church and joining a church is really important, a Bible-believing church. If you find a church that is committed to teaching, preaching, and teaching the Bible— the people in the church 
they love Jesus and they're going to love you and they're going to be excited to come alongside you and help you in your journey to discover who God is. I have a prayer partner, and as soon as I get down or I feel myself kind of sinking, I text or call and just say pray, or we talk on the phone, and it picks me back up. It's easy to listen to negative voices. You have to really be careful to have some kind of tool that will snap you out of that when you get there. And um, Christian music can help sometimes, just kind of get you back on track or posting verses around your house that will remind you that there is hope and help through Christ. What about stress? How does stress impact the way you feel? And how does your faith impact how you deal with that kind of stress? Stress definitely does impact. Um, Actually, that's one of the reasons that my neurologist asked me to retire when I did, because there was a lot of stress involved in handling all the responsibilities that I had to handle at that time. Isaiah 26.3, God will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast um, because he trusts you. And so I often have to bring myself back to the basics, what's simple, to keep my life simple, to keep my goals simple, and to just remember that God's in control and he is the basis and the truth for all my life. I think one of the life lessons for me in my own season of life is to come to a point of saying, this is a different season of life, but that doesn't make it a bad season or a wrong season. Uh, For instance, the idea that you have to look at your life and say, I need to eliminate stress. How can I do that? Rather than looking at that as a weakness, I'm weak, so I have to eliminate stress, but actually as wise, and it can be a strength in your life so that the energy you have is more focused toward helping your body do what it needs to do and dealing with the the daily challenges of everyday life. Actually, it's become a gift. It's become a treasure. It's treasure in the darkness. Having to keep things simple, having to set more simple goals, it it has allowed me to slow down and listen more, to not take as much for granted, to experience more of what's going on around me. When I'm in the car and, and driving and I don't have all these things going on in my mind that I have to do, I'm able to see that beautiful tree. And uh, so it's turned out to be quite a gift. I remember when my mother was bedridden because of medical issues, and I, and she, very similar personality to you in being very involved, very active. Her life was full and busy, and now she couldn't do any of those things And she would have hard days where she felt as though she was useless. And I remember all of us saying, it's such a gift for us to be able to sit here with you and have your full attention and know that you're fully engaged just with us and to pray for us in a way that I know she wouldn't have been able to if her life had been fuller. Now, that was my perspective. I know that for her, it it was an ongoing struggle. But still, I see what you're saying about how God turns the darkness into a place of giving us treasures. And are there any other treasures in the darkness in this journey that have helped turn your heart toward him? Well, I think one of the things that I am concerned about, of course, which I've mentioned before, is burden, my family or whatever. And a couple years ago, our oldest son 
asked us if we would join his family and go to Disney World, which was, of course, very exciting and scary at the same time. While I really wanted to go so badly, it was like, can I manage it? You know, fast-paced and whatever. My husband said, well, we'll rent a scooter. You'll have a scooter and, and we'll go and it'll be okay. And then I'm like, the scooter and, oh, I'm not a good driver. And it'll be, you know. Anyway, in, in the end, it just so happened that their youngest child was struggling with a little bit of a medical issue at the time and it slowed him down. And so... I just fit right in. And we were I was able to go. I never had to use my scooter. I was able to keep up with everybody. I never felt like anybody was slowing down for me or whatever. And I just felt like God gave that to me. It was like he reached down and said, I'm going to make this all okay for you. And it's going to be a great experience. And so it really made me feel his love very close. For as long as I've known you, your faith has been very dear to you and very real to you. How has this season of life increased your intimacy with Christ? As I have worked through trying to honor Him in the hard times, I feel that He has given me a closer relationship, a more intimate relationship. I'm more aware of His presence. I'm more aware of the gifts that he, his love gives to me. It's easy when you're busy to take things for granted, but in, the, in slowing down, I've been able to see, well, God did that for me and realize that um, he cares about all the little details and all the things that upset me or burden me. And he loves me through people and some of the things that acts of kindness that they present to me. And so it's given me a much deeper sense of his love for me and sacrifice for me and continues to make me feel more loved all the time and more valued as I am able to honor him in simple, simple ways. When you see someone else who is hurting or someone comes to you with their own burdens, how has your experience with MS equipped you to encourage them or to help them in their own journey? By pointing them to the Lord, I guess by being able to share some of my stories, some of my particular circumstances, I think being able to just be there and care. I've identified probably four or five women that have gone through real challenges, either physical or they've lost somebody or their particular season of life doesn't afford them many friends right now. And I've been intentional about spending time with them once a month. I try to have a, a date. I want to say play date because I'm so used to talking with kids about young moms, but just time together when we can just, you know, be together. And one of them in particular just said, you know, nobody makes the time as consistently as you do to spend time with me. And it just really means a lot to me. So I feel like just spending time with people, just caring about them, checking in on them. And when they compliment you on that or are thanking you for that, pointing them to the Lord and saying, you know, it's really God loving you through giving me the idea to spend time with you. So Sherry, what I'm hearing you say is that it's likely that if your life had not been turned upside down by this diagnosis of MS and removed a lot of the the very important, very important task in your life is running a school and being so involved in the lives of so many people, you would not have the time 
to invest intentionally in these individual people. And to me, it's a picture of realizing that we each have a unique calling and a unique gift and comparing what we're doing with somebody else, as the scriptures tells us, is useless. To look back and say, well, I was more important back here when I was in charge of all these tasks and people. And who knows if that was more important. Where you are right now is the most important place for you to be and the impact you can have on the lives of individuals who then impact other lives. Sherry, you've said that you need to be careful about how you spend your time and your energy, and yet you're being really intentional about pouring into lives of others. What, what gives you the confidence to be able to go really into the darkness of another person's life intentionally and on purpose? Well, one of the ways that I feel I can honor the Lord and be useful is to share what I've learned, what God is, what the comfort that God has given me, the encouragement that studying and other people pouring into me has given me. I, I want to turn around and be able to pour that into somebody else and encourage them, and, and and in that way be used by God, be hands and feet. Actually, as you know, I look at at people who are hurting and just need somebody to come alongside and be comfort and you know help them through their their hard time. You know, oftentimes when we are intentional about reaching out and caring about others, um, it comes back to be comfort for for us. I remember a, a period where I was depressed a little bit, and one of the things that we're when we're depressed, we kind of withdraw, and the counsel was fight that and don't do do everything you can to not withdraw because you want to be out there you want to be trying to give all that you have put it out there and use it to encourage others i remember um, husband chuck saying that if you are depressed if you're feeling really sad uh, and you're lying down you need to sit up if you're sitting stand if you're standing walk. If you're walking, run. Now, we have to change the meaning of those words for our circumstances, right. but it's what you're saying is you need to get up and move um, and move towards someone else in order to give to them. Someone once told me that if you're in, in, if you're in jeans, put on something nice, dress up. <laughs> there you go. If you're sloppy, <laughs> dressed up, that'll make you feel better. And there's all kinds of tricks we can play on our, on our minds uh, to help us move in the right direction. You have described the disease as really kind of mysterious. You don't know what the progression will be. You don't know. You could stay right where you are right now, or you could get worse, or you might get better. How do you live with the unknowns? That's hard sometimes. And so I try not to dwell on it because there are no answers. The doctor can't answer. I don't have the answers. So you you trust. You go back to... I've submitted my life to the Lord, and I trust Him, and I'm just going to take it day by day. Sherry, as we wrap up our time together, I want you to think about that person who's listening, who is really encouraged by the many things that you've shared practically, and your spirit, and your attitude, but they're thinking, what does she have that helps her to view life this way? Talk to that person about what drives you uh, every minute of every day. 
It all starts with my salvation. When I realized that there is a God who loves me enough to send his son to watch him die on the cross, a horrible death carrying my sin, and then he rose again, and he he lives in heaven, and he's with me. He's, he's my strength. I can trust him. As I study as I read my Bible, um, he that's his word, and he talks to me through it and gives me the strength I need. And, and I'm just a simple, plain old person, um, nothing special. And he can do that for you, too. He can do that for, for anybody who's willing to um, open their heart and listen and learn and surrender their lives to him.